okay. I always start by saying, okay. <laughs> um, this is session six, part two. Um, one of the things, one of the points I made at the beginning of our last session together was chapter 12 and 13 really go together. So we looked at chapter 12 uh, last time, but there was lots to see and um, that took an hour, so it seemed reasonable to um, break it into 6A and 6B. But you, ne you need to keep in mind some of the things that we've um, learnt from Chapter 12 to make sense of Chapter 13. So with Hannah, I'll be getting Hannah to remember back a little bit uh -huh. on some of the things from Chapter 12, just as a, just as a refresher. I'll do a quick introduction. Um, and then we'll listen to Hannah read the chapter to us. The first thing to say about Chapter 13 is that the focus shifts from Chapter 12, which is focused on how the kingdoms of this world are, have been overthrown by um, the Messiah's rule and the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ. And we, and we looked at the um, establishment of this victorious reality in heaven and on earth, last session. Mm -hmm. What this chapter is going to focus on is sort of the other side of the equation, which is what, what, how do we encounter the kingdom of this world? Um, what's going on with um, uh, the opposition to the church and the, the you know, we're talking, uh, John is talking to an audience of Christians who are, who are under deep um, persecution, mm -hmm. who are suffering mm -hmm. um, for their faith. And um, he's wanting to reassure them about um, what's going on and how it fits with the establishment of Jesus' victorious. Um, rule on the earth. Mm -hmm. And so what he does in this chapter is it's like an unveiling of the enemy. He, he actually shows you what you're dealing with living in the world. And, mm -hmm. and it very much um, the pictures focus on these two beasts that emerge mm -hmm. and their relationship with the dragon. Mm -hmm. um, and two, two aspects are really, really um, zoomed in on in terms of the characteristics or qualities of the, the kingdom of this world, this dark satanic kingdom, and one is it's deceptive. Mm -hmm. So the warning to the church is, you know, be aware, don't be deceived, don't mm -hmm. be sucked in. This is counterfeit. Mm -hmm. It's not true. Um, so that's, that's one aspect. Beware of the deception. Mm -hmm. The other aspect is you will encounter the, the, this kingdom in its brute power that, that in terms of, in terms of what what it will look like and how you'll experience it, you, you, you're, encounter, you're encountering brute force here, mm -hmm. um, which is very different to the kingdom of Jesus, um, which doesn't rely on brute force. It relies on a much greater power, and we'll, mm -hmm. have, we'll have a look at that. But um, the two aspects is deception and, and this brutal oppressive power and and. The chapter's quite encouraging. It shows the church how to deal with those two issues. In the modern day, um, you, you could imagine some, some places in the world and some parts of God's church around the globe would draw much more from the encouragement around the brute power stuff 
Mm. Um, for us, I would say in the West and in Australia, mm. the, the much more significant parts of these chapter are to do with the deceptive nature of this worldly kingdom. Because mm. in, in terms of our life and the way we live, um, we, we don't inc- encounter the, the um, brutal reality of martyrdom and mm. pers- persecution that's overt and people aren't dying for their faith in the way that they were in the first century. But we certainly are encountering the deception mm. um, in just as a profound way as they did in the first century. And so it's really important from that perspective to understand some of the things that are being said here. Um don't be rattled, don't be deceived, discern the times um, is the message. I just want to point out one verse before we read the chapter, and Mm -hmm. this is um, from Matthew chapter 24. This is Jesus giving advice to his disciples about the end of things, and he says this, For then there will be great distress, unequaled from the beginning of the world until now and never to be equaled again. If those days had not been cut short, No one would survive, but for the sake of the elect, those days will be shortened. At that time, if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe it. For false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform great signs and miracles to deceive even the elect, if that were possible. See, I have told you ahead of time. Now, the reason for reading you that is, One of the things that Jesus does just before, you know, this is right at the end of the Gospels, and this is sort of some of his last advice to the disciples about look out for Mm. what's going on in the world, discern the times, Mm. understand what's going on. And one of the things he's profoundly warning these disciples about is watch out for counterfeits, Mm. watch out for imitators of the kingdom, Mm. Um, watch out for false messiahs. The, The point is... This victorious reality requires that you keep keep your eyes on me, keep trusting and obeying. Mm-hmm. Um, um, you need eyes of faith to live in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, we might stop there and we'll listen to Hannah read the chapter to us. Revelation chapter 13. And the dragon stood on the shore of the sea, the beast out of the sea. And I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear, and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was astonished and followed the beast. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast and they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. He opened his mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. He was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them. And he was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast. 
all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. He who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of the saints. The beast out of the earth. Then I saw another beast coming out of the earth. He had two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. He exercised all the authority of the first beast on his behalf and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. And he performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. He ordered them to set up an image in honour of the beast who was wounded by the sword and yet lived. He was given power to give breath to the image of the first beast so that it could speak and cause all who refused to worship the image to be killed. He also forced everyone, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on his right hand or on his forehead, so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark, which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. This calls for wisdom. If anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it is man's number. His number is 666. So chapter um, 13, it's sort of a bit of an ominous start, isn't it? The the dragon stood on the shore of the sea. So the, mm-hmm. the dragon is Satan. Mm-hmm. He's on the earth. What is, what's the symbolism of standing on the shore of the sea about? Sort of where land and earth, um, land and sea meet. Yeah, so I have this picture of the dragon looking out over the sea. And what does the sea symbolise? The, um, <laughs> the empires of humanity. Well, they come, they come out of the sea. Yeah, but this, sort of ra- this ra- yeah, yeah, good. It's it's rebellious humanity. It's sort of the, it's humanity in rebellion, sort of churning and um, chaotic. Um, it, it's it's humanity through the history of the world, and deep in the heart of humanity is that re- rebellion against God's rule. And and you picture this great dragon watching over this this. Um, rebellious humanity and in it he sees opportunity one of the things that's really significant about um, what's going on here is that satan's attack or satan's the way satan damages human beings and and ultimately attacks god who is his enemy um, is not not directly he he can't take on god God one-on-one he's just a creature Mm. What he can, what he tries to do though, is get behind human decisions and human life and mm. human power and manipulate and distort and damage and destroy at the um, secretly at the back of things. Mm. And so that's what we're going to see a lot in this chapter. And, and just the way Satan attempts to, you know get into every part of life in the world, do damage in every way possible, 
to control people's lives, destroy people's lives, etc. Mm. And we see this right through the Old Testament in terms of the pictures that we get of Satan are, are often oblique. They're sort of hidden behind things. Um, you see that a lot in the prophets. It's um, Rarely in the scriptures do you encounter Satan directly. What more happens is um, a prophetic text might be speaking about um, an enemy of Israel. It might be Pharaoh or it mm-hmm. might be um uh, you know, the king of Babylon or whatever it might be. And and as as the prophetic um, word emerges and, and the description develops, what you recognise is there's a dark demonic power behind mm. this personage, in the this real figure in the world, whether it's Pharaoh or or mm. the king of Babylon or whatever. And and that that person that personage is recognisably the angel, Satan at the mm. back back of these worldly powers. And that's really what this chapter is going to um, unveil for us. How is Satan at work at the back of what's going on in the world? Mm-hmm. Let's just have a look at one quite important passage that relates to that. Um, it's Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12. Mm-hmm. So just before you read it, a little bit of context. This is really a prophecy against the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, mm-hmm. who's got God... Um, the prophecy is about God judging this king and bringing this person, this king Nebuchadnezzar, low, bringing him down because he's been full of pride in terms of um, the arrogance and the way he's ruled and his defiance of God, etc. And God talks about humbling him. But when you read um, when you read the prophecy, what you recognise is that there's a figure behind the king of Babylon that's actually Satan, and that the description is about the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, but it's equally um, describing things about the satanic rebellion, mm-hmm. the angelic rebellion that that um, has happened against God. So it's a very um, important and um, insightful little passage. So j- just read, we won't read lots, but I, just 14.12, I think. How you have fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn, you have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. Okay, there's more that we could go on and read, but can you can you see how um, we didn't talk about it in the last chapter? But some of that imagery is being picked up in chapter twelve. Can you can you see what 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 could you connect to mm. chapter twelve from that little picture there of this figure of a star being cast down? Yeah. Well, exactly what you just said. The the of the dragon. Yeah, being cut, he was cast down to earth. Yeah, that, that idea of him being um, hurled down to earth, kicked out of heaven. Um. Um. And and what what it points out here is that it, it's well. The next verse goes on to say. Um, you know, you were tempted to ascend, to be like God, to think that you are God mm. and God's going to humble you um, mm-hmm. um, and judge you for for the way that you've um, tried to usurp your place. Mm. Um, one of the things that's interesting about this verse and particularly why um, people read, read a connection to um, the angel Satan behind um, this verse mm. is um, 
what's what who how is this figure addressed or described oh morning star yeah oh morning star and we've seen again it's interesting isn't it that that stars are often associated with angelic beings mm-hmm. um oh morning star literally means uh lucifer in hebrew that's, mm-hmm. that's where we get the the title lucifer which is a, a title of the devil or satan etc yeah um but it it raises it raises an interesting um, quality about Satan in the sense that the morning star is the first star of the morning, the most beautiful, the brightest star. And so the implication is this angelic figure that's rebelled uh, was an incredible being right right at the pinnacle of the archangels, Mm. the most beautiful of the angels, the most uh, the one that shone brightest in that in that sense, and it, and it's that one that rebelled and is cast in his mm. cast down. The main point that we're making though is it highlights this pattern that that sort of unveils how Satan works. That at the back of these figures, that there's um, satanic principalities and powers mm. that are at work manipulating the world. Um, through empires and and through human rulers. Mm. It makes me think of when Jesus says to Judas, get behind me, Satan. Says to Peter. Oh, to Peter. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah. And it's not that he was directly coming into contact with with Satan, but that he recognised that Peter was doing the work of Satan, going against God's will with what he yeah. said to him. Yeah, that challenge to 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 Jesus um, walking through suffering and, and going all the way to the cross, mm. that challenge to find another way or do it a different way or whatever, he, mm. he's recognised at the back of this is is, is Satan. That's yeah. what Satan was. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's an example of how Jesus recognises how Satan is at work in the world. Good. Um so just before we start getting it, it feels like though we're putting lots of pieces in place before before we actually get into the text, and in a sense we are. But to make sense of this chapter, it's really helpful just to do a quick refresher on what has John been revealing to us through these visions of what the kingdom of our Lord and his Christ, that is the kingdom of God, mm-hmm. what, what are the characteristics and qualities that have been revealed about this kingdom? Mm-hmm. Um, because what we're going to see in this chapter is that, that all the description of the kingdom of the world, this rebellious enemy um, kingdom, mm-hmm. um, is really a counterfeit of the true kingdom. Mm-hmm. So having, having in your mind, well, what... what How's John encouraging us to think about this true kingdom really mm-hmm. helps in identifying what's going on in terms of the opposition. Mm-hmm. So wh- wh- what do you remember about from, from the prophecy so far about wh- what is this what is the kingdom of God and what does it look like? How is it ruled? Um, Jesus is the king and he's at the center. Yeah, and he's often described as what well, the lamb, yeah, the lamb, the lamb on the throne, and 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 he's been given authority from the ancient of days, yeah. often in these pictures, to to ascend and rule. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that's 
the, the kingdom is ruled by, um, in other language, we could say the father and the son, mm. um, but the father's delegated authority to this this lamb. Mm. What what else about the kingdom have you recognised? Um, multitudes of people being drawn in. Yeah, yeah, drawn in, and that's a really important point. Drawn in, provided for, protected, mm. um, drawn in to share life, to mm. share worship. Mm. Um, you, you have these. We've we've seen it, haven't we? All the way through these amazing moments of the the throng of people from every tribe and tongue and language and nation, etc., mm. worshiping around the throne, singing and declaring. Um, the glory of Jesus and what he's what he's done, being drawn into God's life, um, and and God mm-hmm. shepherding, providing, protecting. Um, what what else? What what else is the role of this kingdom in the in relation to the world? Um, or the earth? Well, the the people are given responsibility to be a witness and to proclaim. Yeah. Yep. The truth. Yeah, priests and kings on the earth to rule and to uh, attend to God, worship Him mm-hmm. like like the old priests, and and, a, and a, an amazing responsibility to an authority to go out in His name and bear witness mm-hmm. to to His testimony, and and in that way, God's kingdom goes forward victorious in the world. Yeah, um, it's about. An obedient life, a mm-hmm. life that attends to holiness. Remember those words back to the churches in chapter two and three. Yeah. Keep yourself holy. Return to your first love. Mm-hmm. Um, where's the power of this kingdom lie? In God. Yeah. In the blood of Jesus that's overcome. Yeah, yeah, good. So so an incredible event has taken place where this lamb has been slain, but by his blood. Mm. Um, the world has been overcome. So, so something incredibly powerful has happened in the death and resurrection of this messianic figure, Jesus. Mm. Um, and it's it's about releasing God's love that was always there, but but releasing the power of His love that people can respond to it and 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 it's love it's love. And a humble love, um, a love that's demonstrated in a lamb, in meekness and lowliness, um, that's in in self-sacrifice, that, that is is the, the heartbeat of the of the kingdom, the power mm-hmm. that, that's the engine of the kingdom, that no one can ever be separated from this love. Um, and it reforms people, it recreates, it makes new, it restores. All of those sorts of pictures mm. have been part of the, the worship of um, the people in the throne room. Um, that idea that, that it's an unbreakable power, that, that bond that people can never be separated from his love or lost to God again. Mm-hmm. Um, okay. What we're going to see in this chapter is pretty much um, a mirror image of that that's, that's a pale, distorted imitation mm-hmm. of the kingdom of God, and that, that's what the kingdom of the world is like. So instead of a, a lamb, we're going to have beasts. 
Mm. Um, instead of a true church of, of the gathered people of God, you're going to have a false church worshipping idols. Um, instead of an obedient um, uh, an obedient humanity that's learnt to obey the king and hold to the testimony of Jesus, you're going to have a rebellious humanity that reject and kill the representatives of Jesus on the earth. Um, mm -hmm. Instead of the beautiful power of the love of God expressed in Jesus' life and work, you're going to have brute power and the power to deceive distorted um, versions of power that don't bring life but actually destroy life and bring death. And like you were saying to me before, this is a kingdom even where those that uh, are running the show, mm. they don't love each other. Mm. They hate each other. Mm. The beast and the dragon and the antichrist and the, the other figures that we're going to see that, that are the players in this kingdom don't have a love for each other. Yeah. Um, and they don't have a love for the people that are part of their kingdom either. Their mm. intention is to destroy mm. and to kill, etc. That is the kingdom of the world that we're about to encounter. Mm. Okay, let's start having a look at these two beasts. So the first beast we see, mm -hmm. um, I saw a beast coming out of the sea. He had ten horns, seven heads, ten crowns on his horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. Um, the beast resembled a leopard, had feet like a bear and mouth a mouth like that of the lion. And the dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and his great authority. Okay, we'll stop there. So where's who has the power in this kingdom? The dragon? Yeah, and it's and he delegates power. Mm -hmm. To this beast. Now we need to work out some things about this beast. Um, there's some very helpful things that we can see. It's mm. quite a mysterious, weird picture, mm. but it's drawn straight from Daniel chapter 7. Mm. And to make sense of it, we've got to go back to Daniel 7 and look at the first seven verses. So it's a little bit of text, but we just need to read verse 1 to 7. In the first year of Belshazzar, is that how you say yeah, it? yeah. King of Babylon, Daniel had a dream, and visions passed through his mind as he was lying on his bed. He wrote down the substance of his dream. Daniel said, In my vision at night I looked, and there before me were the four winds of heaven churning up the great sea. Four great beasts, each different from the others, came up, up out of the sea. Okay, I'm not going to talk about it, but I'm just going to point out there's your first significant similarity with Revelation mm. that these beasts, this beastly figure comes out of the sea. Here you've got a series of four. Mm -hmm. uh, the first was like a lion and it had the wings of an eagle. I watched until its wings were torn off and it was lifted from the ground so that it stood on two feet like a man and the heart of a man was given to it. And there before me was a second beast, which looked like a bear. It was raised up on one of its sides, and it had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. It was told, get up and eat your fill of flesh. After that, I looked, and there before me was another beast, one that looked like a le leopard. And on its back, it had four wings like those of a bird. This beast had four heads, and it was given authority to rule. 
After that, in my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was a fourth beast, terrifying and frightening and very powerful. It had large iron teeth. It crushed and devoured its victims and trampled underfoot whatever was left. It was different from all the former beasts, and it had ten horns. Okay. One of the – I'm not going to go into explaining in detail the um, – the meaning of Daniel's vision, if you're interested, um, the next part of Chapter 7, he actually interprets for you what what he's seeing and a studied Bible will help you set, um, set what's going on in the context of the history of Israel and Judah. So these successive kingdoms of the ancient world yeah. uh, represented by Beasts that have the appearance of lions and leopards, etc., yeah. um, are pro- progressively rise, are judged, lose their authority, and then are replaced by the next one until yeah. at the end of the pro- prophecy, which we didn't read, you have the coming of one like a son of man who ascends and establishes a rule mm. um, that's everlasting. And this is the this is the coming of the Messiah. And and the picture is. The kingdom of God is ultimately going to wipe out and replace and judge all of these successive Mm -hmm. um, kingdoms of the world. Mm -hmm. Now, what's interesting um, in Revelation is that this picture of the beast that comes out of the sea Uh um, resembles a leopard but had the feet of a bear and a mouth of a lion, etc., so what what's what's happened to the to the vision in Revelation compared to um, Daniel? Um, it's become one. Yeah, aspects of each have been. Yeah, yeah. So, so it's like a conflation or, or or a compilation of all these empires of the world of the ancient world mm-hmm. have. Uh, formed into this one image that has characteristics of all of them. Mm-hmm. So um, the picture is uh, uh, of, of this beast representing um, a, gr- a great empire mm-hmm. that that has characteristics and qualities that that have been that, that we've seen in all the 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 empires that have um, been around previous. And, and other features of this um, great, powerful empire mm. are that, that it um, and its authority is that it had ten crowns, um, seven heads, ten horns. Mm. So, so, again, just reflecting enormous power, enormous authority and, and uh, uh, rule, massive rule. Uh, uh, rule seven heads that is represent um it, it it's its rule will be represented in different ways mm-hmm. um through through time and history but but behind behind it all is this one great beast um what um this enormous beast that becomes the central figure in um the cre- the 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 power behind the, this um, kingdom of the world that at the back of which is the dragon. Do you want to ask any more about that, or does that sort of make sense? Do you think? 
think we're good. Okay, let's let's um, press on because the next bit's quite interesting. One of the heads of the beast um, seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed, and the whole world was astonished and followed the beast. What's interesting about that? Think of it, I'm thinking in terms of the parallel with the true kingdom. What does it make you think of in relation to the true kingdom? What's one of the features when you look at the lamb? What do you recognise about the lamb? It's the lamb. He was slain. Yeah, the, the lamb that was slain. Mm-hmm. Um, Emphasising the power of the resurrected life mm-hmm. of Jesus. Um, what you have here is a counterfeit. Mm. You have a you have a beast that looks like uh, it seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had healed. So there's like a false there's a false version of of a, a Christ like figure here, and mm. a false version of um, a resurrection a resurrection in the sense that that a fatal wound is a wound that kills you. Mm. Um, so hold that thought. Um, it, it becomes the basis for the world's astonishment and their following of the of the beast. Mm. Um, similar to the way that Jesus' work um, draws the true church to follow him. Men worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. So that idea that behind this is actually human beings uh, giving their worship their loyalty, their 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 allegiance um, to um, Satan. They also worship the beast and asked, "Who is like the beast? Who can make war against him?" Now, again, this is a for, for anyone who knows their Old Testament. What you're seeing is a a false economy here, a false version of something that's true, mm. and in this case. It's the phrasing of those two sentences. Mm. Who is like the beast? Think of all the Psalms or mm. all the um, all the words in Isaiah that, that begin, who is like unto you? Yeah. Who is like you, Lord? Yeah. Who could be compared to you? Nothing compares to you. You know that type of language? Yeah. Who can make war against him? In other words, you know, um, often in the Psalms and Isaiah, the incredible um, power of God mm. is is acknowledged in rhetorical questions like this. Yeah. So this this again is a formula of worship that's used for Yahweh, but now being applied to the beast. It's mm. a false version of worship. Um, what's interesting about it too? Uh, just before before we move on, you, you know, it reminds me of chapter five, even even in Revelation where you have the people gathered around the throne, worthy is the lamb who's, who um, can take the scroll and open its, its seals. Who, who has that authority? Who is worthy like that? Mm. It, it's sort of a parallel mm. of that type of, um, th- that type of worship. Mm-hmm. What's this worthiness based on, though? What does the second question reveal about why people are giving this worship to the beast. Seems powerful. Yeah, it's about brute power. So it's not 
it's not a recognition that you are worthy to break the seals like Jesus because mm. you you um, gave up your life. You were the lamb that was slain, etc. Here it's who can make war against you. Mm. You are brutally powerful. Almost fear. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, that, that's right. And and the other thing is it's something that's impressive to sight, mm. not to faith. It's mm. something that's just overwhelmingly powerful physically. Um, who can make war against you, etc. cetera. Um, so so you, you, you have a, 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 the, the, the beginnings of, of, a, of a false king and a false kingdom, a false messiah here. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and exercise his authority for 42 months. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this beast, um, proud words, that's the idea of self-absorbed. Whatever this beast is, it's just consumed with itself. And it speaks blasphemies. Blasphemies is very appropriate. Mm. A blasphemy is a word that um, um, provides a false view of God. Mm. So everything about this this beast and the way it's acting and the way it is Mm. is presenting a a distorted or an an imitation of what's true. Mm. Um, And in that sense, everything about it is blasphemous. so I think that's part of what's going on there. And then we see again, we've seen it again and again, mm. this 42 months equals mm-hmm. three and a half years mm-hmm. equals. So when did it, where is this beast operating? Well, right in the middle of the last days. Mm-hmm. That's the message that you're getting. If you're seeing, if you're seeing um, this sort of, expect to see this right in the middle of the last days. Um, it will have authority during that period. Um, of the of the sequence of redemption, mm. he opened his mouth to blaspheme God, slander His name in His dwelling place, and those who live in heaven. And he was given power to make war against the saints and to conquer them, and given authority over every tribe and people and language and nation. So, what what's going on here? What picture are you getting in terms of how how is this power being exercised? What sort of things could you say? Against the church, right? It's this power is targeted and and and, and directly used against the church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What what else could you say about where and how this power is expressed? Um. Every, it's expressed everywhere. Yeah, there's a real global um, sense to it, isn't it? Against it has um, given power to make war against the saints, but also given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. So the the idea is you're going to see this power expressed all over the world. Um, from my perspective, well, I, I think that what we're seeing here with this beast is is not. One beast in one place in one time in history, that's not the point of what's going on here. Um, what, what we're seeing is a type of power that will be expressed in every generation mm-hmm. all over the world mm-hmm. against the, the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and against the church. Mm-hmm. This is This is what... Opposition looks like mm-hmm. um, every world system in that sense, because this is what the picture is here. 
every world empire or world system behind it there there is dark spiritual forces that that are utterly anti-christian so again you can you can think right through history you know every every generation would would have re- recognizable beasts of the sea Mm. Um, whether you're looking at Nazi Germany or communism or Islam or global capitalism or for these first century believers, it was Rome. It was the power of Rome that they were trying to understand and deal with and respond to. Mm. Um, the, thing about, the, the, the thing about all of these systems, and this is a really important thing for modern people to understand, because humanism is one of the most de- deceptive world systems. Mm. Um, because the, the lie of humanism, um, the deception of humanism is that the way the world is set up and the way things happen and the way systems are organised in the world is somehow neutral. It's mm. not, it's, it's, it's sort of natural to human beings to live this way and it's not good or evil, it's just human. Yeah. Um, this is this is exposing that lie. Mm. All systems mm. are utterly anti-Christian. Mm-hmm. They're, des- they're, des- they're designed to um, attack the ch- the church. Mm-hmm. Um, that's that's an important thing. That's an important thing to recognise, especially in our day. I think. Okay, the next bit. <coughs> the next bit is, is um, quite interesting as well. Um, all inhabitants of the earth will worship this beast, all whose names have not been written in the book of life belonging to the lamb that was slain from the creation of the world. So, again, that's making the point that I'm making. If you're not in the kingdom of God, mm. you will be in the other kingdom. Yeah. There's there's not there's not a middle ground where you don't choose one or the other. You can just sit on the fence. Mm. The point is, you're either in the kingdom of this world, mm. or you're in you're in the kingdom of the Messiah. Yeah. Um, and there's 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 no there's no sort of being not not committed to one or the other. You're you're either worshiping um, the Lamb, mm-hmm. or you're worshiping the Beast. Mm. Um. um David Bowen always used to talk about that Bob Dylan song, You've Got to Serve Somebody, um, and how true it is. That mm. idea of human beings are designed for worship. We're looking to worship. Yeah. We're looking to give our allegiance. Mm. We're looking to follow. It's human. That, that is how we're made. Mm-hmm. And if you're not following the true king, mm-hmm. you'll follow a false one mm-hmm. without doubt. The, Verse 9, he who has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will be killed. Now, just reading Revelation, you think, well, what's that mean? How's that fit? Well, the key is you need to go back to, we won't read it um, because we can't go back and read everything, but this is a direct quote, and that's why in a a Bible it will be phrased as a quote, from a prophecy from Jeremiah in the Old Testament. Mm. And basically what's going on in in the quote is, if if you go back to the context of the Old Testament, Israel is about to experience massive judgment and and um, 
sorry, Judah is about to experience massive judgment. Mm. And God's people are about to go off into exile in Babylon. Mm-hmm. And what happens in, in Jerusalem is that there's a party of people that um, uh, want to be faithful to God in a sense, a, mm-hmm. a remnant people, and that they're thinking uh, what we can do is we can go down to Egypt mm. and avoid what's going to happen to the rest of Judah mm. and we can be the faithful remnant in Egypt. Mm. And the point that Jeremiah makes um is making to this this remnant people is all Judah is going to be caught up in this judgment, mm-hmm. the faithful and the unfaithful, mm-hmm. the true remnant and the and the the rest of Judah who betrayed their loyalty to Yahweh. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's what the point of the quote is. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity he goes. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword he will go. That is uh, even even the faithful remnant are going to come under this judgment, are going to suffer. Mm. Can you see what he's saying to the church? It, why has John included that quote here? That we're not exempt. Right. What he's saying is if you're in the kingdom of God yeah. and there's this kingdom of the world out there, in one, in one way he's wanting to say you're completely separate. Yeah. That is... You, you're worshiping a completely different king. You're you're marching to the beat of a completely different drum. Yeah. But in relation to suffering and the impact that this beast is having on the whole world, you're going to suffer along with mm. the rebellious subjects. Mm. Um, you're not exempt. Yeah. The call isn't to remove ourselves or try to escape it. Exactly like right. To be able to discern. Yeah, and this is very important for this church in the first century under persecution. It's, yeah. it's saying to them, um, dying, dying for the sake of the name and suffering, suffering in the lives that you're living um, in Asia Minor is not a sign that the kingdom of God is not present. Mm. You just need to understand what God is doing here. And that is there, there's some parts of of the rule and authority of the kingdom of this world that God's letting run Mm. and people are going to suffer and die because of the brutal regime of the beast Mm. of Rome in this case. And you're not going to be exempt. In fact, you're the main target. Yeah. Um, Recognise that you are. That's how things are. And so the next next line is, is the key. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on mm. behalf of the saints. So how do we respond to the reality that we're living in the world but not of the world? Mm. Well, what you've got to do is hang in there. Suffering's going to be part of the call of the church. Mm. Um, but what we've seen in other places is it's through su- suffering and death that the victory will be will be manifest and the kingdom of God will go forward. Mm. Um, That that verse about patient endurance, it recalls chapter 2 and 3, doesn't it? It's Mm. it's like a a very strong reminder of the specific words that were given to the seven churches in Asia Asia Minor about um, what you need to do is hang in and stay faithful. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Keep following. keep, Keep living as part of his kingdom. What happens next is we're introduced to another beast, but this time coming out of the earth. Mm. 
And this beast has two horns like a lamb, but he spoke like a dragon. What you need to get a sense of is how John's building a picture here mm. between the powers at work behind this kingdom of the world. So we've seen two elements already. Behind mm. it all is the dragon. Mm. And then in relation to that dragon comes this beast out of the sea mm. that, that is a conflation or a representation of world systems, mm. the way empires work. Mm. That is that, that is the spiritual principalities and powers that stand behind systems mm. and control and empire and those sorts of things. Mm. What we have now is a third element, which is a, which is a beast that comes out of the land. And, and this third element's interesting because it's like the um, incarnation of the power of the other, the other elements in some ways, that it's actually what you see is what's the human face Mm. of the the kingdom of this world what Mm. what are the rulers and the kings and the the people in power Mm. we we start to see them in this third beast um it's so um if you're thinking about peeling back layers we've gone from the dragon behind everything the Mm. first beast beast which is the structures and systems Mm. but now we're actually seeing the manifest face of what you deal with day to day you know, understanding for, for the first century church, mm. the emperor of Rome or Caesar, who, who is he? What's he represent? How's he operating and mm. what's behind him? You, mm. So you're seeing that that's what I mean by incarnate. What's interesting, two things that, that are really interesting here, it's like a false trinity. Mm. So parallel, paralleling the father and the son and the spirit, mm. you have a dragon, mm. a beast of the sea, and a beast that mm. comes out of the land. Uh, that's very intentional, th- mm. this false, th- this picture of the false trinity, and we'll see it strongly by the end of this little section on the beast of the earth. Mm. The second thing that you, you're seeing is just like in the kingdom of God that you have a father and a spirit that's unseen and mm. then the incarnate Jesus who turned up on the earth as a man, it was incarnate, you could relate to and see and connect with. Mm. In a sense, this beast of the that comes out of the earth is taking the place of that type of figure. Yeah. It's like the it's like the human face of the kingdoms of the world. Mm-hmm. Like Jesus is the human face in a sense of the kingdom of God. Mm-hmm. So there's all sorts of parallels going on here that if you understand the parallel, you sort of get what John's getting at. Mm-hmm. So let's have a look at this this beast of the earth, which I, I really do think represents how rule is manifest. Mm-hmm. What are you actually seeing when you're encountering this kingdom and living in the world? Well, this mm-hmm. is what you're seeing. You're seeing the equivalent of using symbolic language, a beast with two horns like a lamb. What's interesting about that? Like a lamb. Well, Jesus is the lamb. Right. So this is, again, it's picking up, in a sense, the false deception the deception of what's going on here, that these, these leaders and rulers will appear like messianic figures, saviours, mm. people that will lead their people out of suffering, will have the answers, mm. and people will follow like they like. Um, they should follow the true the true king who truly leads his people. And, and you see this right through world history, don't you? You know, these 
uh, impressive figures who lead empires for a time to destruction in mm. the end. Interestingly, the, these figures or this figure, the beast of the earth, spoke like a dragon. Mm. So what's that suggesting? Um, it just made me think of that verse. It's talking about the way we speak and out of the out the tongue speaks what's in the heart. Or, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, yeah, things like, like in Proverbs, like what comes out of your mouth. Yeah, Jesus talks about it too. You know, what? it's not what you take into your mouth, but what's, it's what comes out of your mouth that reveals your heart. That, yeah. that's, the, that's the teaching of Jesus, I remember. Yeah, in a sense that it's betraying the true nature of the beast. Yeah. Um, it, that is that it's speaking for the dragon, that at the back of this beast is the um, power and authority of the dragon. It's there's, the dragon that is being manifest here. Yeah, there's evil in its heart. Yeah, in a, in a human form. Okay, so let's see how this beast operates. He exercised all authority, all the authority of the first beast on his behalf. So again, think of a think of figures that represent ideologies, powerful systems. Mm. You know, Roman Roman emperors who represent Roman power and system and rule, or mm. Nazi leaders who represent uh, Nazi ideology and systems, etc., or communist mm. leaders, or or dare I say, capitalist leaders, um, humanist leaders, mm. any sort of person who exercises authority on behalf of an ideology or a system is in view here, I think. Mm. He made and made the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. Mm. So, again, leading people to believe in false ideologies, in, in the power of systems and empires to protect and preserve. You know, think, think about all the damage that nationalism or ideologies have done because because leaders encourage people to believe that this is the answer to life. Um, you, you see it again and again. The, the great, the, even the great empires through history, the British Empire or the Spanish or whatever, they they go out into the world conquering and preaching, but believing that you know they 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 have all the answers, mm-hmm. that their ideology is worth worshiping, etc. Mm-hmm. The Romans. A classic as well. He performed great and miraculous signs, even causing fire to come down from heaven to earth in full view of men. So, so again, th- this is um, quite mysterious. Um, there, there will be something miraculous, super supernatural, perhaps, about these figures and the way that they that they, what they behave and operate. They will seem to men like gods. That's something that I think is significant. Because of the signs he was given power to do on behalf of the first beast, he deceived the inhabitants of the earth. So, again, it's all about deception. Um, What you start to see here is a picture of how uh, religion, world religion, is used to control and ensnare and deceive people. Um, And that... The tools of the beast of the earth are quite interesting. It's basically there's a focus on um, religion 
and religious ideas, and there's also a focus on economies and economic control. But what you're seeing here at the start is these religious components. Um, this figure will set up an image in honour of, honor of the beast, the first beast, for people to worship, and, and, it, and in a sense will give power or life to the idol. So uh, th that idea that these idols will appear alive or real, something to believe in, something that you can trust, something that, that you can invest your life in. And those who re refuse to worship are killed. Um, so the, the idea is that hu human beings are caught up um, and forced, small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, they're caught up in um, this, this religious um, this religious worship. Now, in the first century, this is so real for people because emperor worship was a literal thing. People in Asia Minor were required to offer sacrifices to the emperor. And one of the reasons Christians were getting killed was because they were refusing to do it. But that idea of the enormous power of Rome being tied to being forced to participate in false worship was a very practical and real issue mm. for first century Christians. For us, it's more subtle, but I think it's still there. Mm. Um, we're, we're, drawn to, uh, we're drawn into a, a worldly way of giving worth mm. to things that are idols mm -hmm. all the time, mm -hmm. maybe not physically offering um, sacrifices to an emperor, but in all sorts of ways in life. We need to be... Um, speaking with the Lord about this and being really clear about the places where we're offering things to idols mm. in the way that we're participating in the world. Mm. It's real. Okay, the last little bit moves from religion to an economic sort of focus, and, and it, it, it's one of the sections of uh, Roman, oh, sorry, one of the sections of Revelation that's really picked, picked up by the by the um, doomsday preppers and others who, who uh, are looking for signs of the end of the times, which is this thing of the mark of the beast. Mm. I think we can say some things about it. I'll have a go. So it talks about this beast of the earth forcing everyone to receive a mark on his right hand and on his forehead so that no one could buy or sell unless he had the mark which is the name of the beast or the number of his name. Let's just break it down a bit. First of all, and I think most importantly, recognise what's going on here is mm. another false version of something that's true. Mm. So if you go back into the Old Testament, mm. the Jews were called to, um, you know, Put the, put the Torah or the law on their foreheads and, and on their wrists, etc. And Orthodox Jews today, symbolically, yeah, symbolically, yeah. Um, it, it comes out of Exodus and it's really saying keep the law in your head and make it the focus of your life and your actions. Uh -huh. Putting it on your head is about keeping it in your thinking, putting it on your arm. Your arm is, is your, your executive sort of power, your power to work, uh, go work in the world. So keep it. Keep it central to your thoughts. Keep it the focus of your actions. Now, um, modern Orthodox Jews have taken that quite literally and they, they wrap things around their head and around their wrist. But, but the intention was about 
where's your head at? What yeah. are you doing with your life and your actions? That's yeah. what's going on here. Now, this is a parallel of it. Mm. So, so the idea is that the beast is demanding the same sort of commitment, the mm. same sort of allegiance, mm. but a false version. That is, it's requiring that, that you have a mark on your right hand and on your forehead, just like the Torah for the, for the Old Testament Jews. It's linked to, interestingly, the economic system. You can't buy or sell or participate unless you're, you, you, you have this demonstrated loyalty to the beast mm. um, reflected in this symbolic mark. Um, again, uh, I think that's so relevant to the modern world. Mm. Um, I've got a good friend who was a shipping broker in Singapore for many years. He's not even a Christian but he came home from, from Singapore and he would talk to me about how much this world system, this economic system, this mm. business life mm. that he was called to be a part of in Singapore in his job, mm. how much it tried to get its claws into him mm. and that every day he felt like um, to get ahead you had to just go along. You had to compromise mm. all the time. And that's the story of modern economic systems, mm. isn't it? It's so difficult for Christians to stay faithful mm. in the context of money making and mm. trade and business mm. that's rapacious and about greed and about um, profit and ego and arrogance and control um, in all sorts of ways. These, these are the economic systems is one of the most pervasive ways that Christians are controlled, compromised, mm. um, et cetera, in the world. And, and I think that that's what's being picked up here, that there's sort of a totalitarian aspect to the rule of this beast, that they're looking at these, these dark forces are looking at every aspect of life, religious, social, economic, mm. and they're looking at ways that they can control, distort, um, bring people to to compromising positions where where their allegiance shifts and one of the one of the in one ways most overt ways it's done is through this whole money making system that the world has mm. um, it's one of the most compromising defiling things that christians have to be a part of every day you can't avoid it mm. um, to some extent but w walking it understand what's going on with the beast. It's trying to draw you in. Understand all the time what's what's going on here. And so that's that's what that's the last point that Paul uh, that John makes here. This calls for wisdom. Mm. Um, if anyone has insight, let him calculate the number of the beast, for it's a man's number. His number is six six six. I'll tell you one thing this is not. Mm -hmm. This is not a riddle. Yeah. This is not John presenting you with a clever, mysterious sort of calculation that you've got to work out. Yeah. And anyone who interprets it like that, mm -hmm. like some sort of secret knowledge that, that, that needs some, you know, bizarre calculations to unravel, is beating up the wrong tree definitely. Yeah. What's going on here is something that John wants all his readers to be perfectly clear about. Mm. What's the point? Well, I think he's 
basically bringing together what he's shown us in chapter 13. Mm. I think he's saying a few things. One is this number is significant, 666. For Jews, numbers like we've seen are, are very yeah. significant. The number, the number that would reflect perfection, uh-huh. God's kingdom would be 777. Yeah. So what you have here is a counterfeit, yeah. something that falls short, that uh-huh. looks like the kingdom of God but is not the kingdom of God. Yeah. It's a compromised, lesser, deceiving version of the kingdom of God. That's the first thing. The second thing about this number is it's three lots of the number six. Mm-hmm. Immediately my brain goes to th- there's a trinity going on here. Yeah. Um, three, a, a set of three is in focus. And I think he's um, drawing our minds back to the relationship between the dragon, the beast of the sea, uh-huh. and the beast of the earth, and their relationship together. And that be wise, understand what's going on between those, those rulers that manifest the power of the of dark satanic forces behind be aware of the first beast which is the power of these systems and empires and i and ideas etc because behind them is the the ultimate enemy which is the the dragon or satan himself Mm -hmm. and 666 brings together recognize the three elements Mm -hmm. but the last thing he says there is Calculate the number of the beast for it is a man's number. Mm. Why does he say man's number? Well, I think that that's the ultimate point. How are you going to encounter, how are you going to encounter the kingdom of the world? Will, will it be Satan you bump into down the street? No. You can't see systems. What you're going to encounter is men, rulers. People in, a th- in, in positions of authority and power mm. that, that are operating out of this base. And he, and he says, he, what he's saying is recognize it's men you're going to encounter. It's a man's number. I think that that's, that, that's what the focus is here. Again, there, there's, there is some analysis of the number 666. Maybe for the first century audience, if you if you do the the way the Jews add up letters and work out the the numerical value of words, it, it may well be that Nero is in mind, or Domitian, who's considered to be like a resurrected Nero. Nero come back to life. Mm-hmm. Maybe John, for his first century audience, is pointing specifically to a to a specific man in the context of his audience. Mm. But I think that the truth for us mm. is is that um, what John's pointing out is that behind the kingdom of this world is Satan, who's working through the first beast, systems and orders and empires. But what you're going to in- encounter is the face of this which is human beings, which is men. And it's not one for all time. Um, I think it's in every generation in these last days, in every place across the world, you're going to see this manifest. This kingdom is going to be encountered by the church in Africa, in South America, in Australia, in, you know, 1000 AD and in 
2021 AD. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, the, the point being made is keep your eyes on Jesus. It's like going back to where we started, Matthew 24. We need to be people that discern the times that we live in, people that don't be afraid of this, don't be afraid of this kingdom, mm-hmm. but um, live by faith. Keeping our eyes on the true king, trusting in his word, not being not being rattled or deceived by people that are claiming to be uh, false messiahs or have have all the answers or are seeking to lead or control or or whatever. But but recognizing our our allegiance is um, to the Lamb and and our place is in the kingdom of God, mm. and we'll encounter the world. Mm. We don't need to fear it, mm. and and it won't overwhelm us in the sense of we will suffer in re, in relation to it, but it can't destroy at all the kingdom of God. In fact, it's been defeated, and the kingdom of the Lord and His Christ mm. has overtaken the kingdom of the world mm. in terms of real authority on the earth. And every day, like we saw in chapter twelve. This victory of God's kingdom is manifest in the application of, you know, overcome by the blood, um, people finding forgiveness and grace by the proclamation of the gospel and the testimony of Jesus mm-hmm. and by Christians willing to suffer and die for the sake of the name of Jesus and for, and for the for the sake of his kingdom, knowing that not even death can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus.